So I think you'll see continuous care be accepted as the go-to model for chronic disease, and you'll see integrated virtual primary and chronic care. Uh, and it'll, and, and I think you'll even see virtual first, where there'll be different plans where you go, you 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 sign up for a virtual first plan, and you interact virtually, and then decide if you go see a physician. And now from San Francisco and the UCSF Rosenman Institute, the Health Technology Podcast with your host Christine Winotto. Our guest today is Stephanie Tillinus, founder and CEO of Vita Health a licensed virtual medical care platform with therapists, coaches, and nutritionists operating in all 50 states. VITA allows consumers with multiple diagnoses to receive care uniquely suited to their needs by addressing a range of medical conditions rather than singling any one condition out. Before she launched VITA Health, Stephanie ran consumer experience platform in big name companies like Google, eBay, and PayPal. In this episode, we talk about how Vita got its start, the importance of addressing mental and physical health together, and the future of virtual medicine. Here's our conversation. Well, welcome, Stephanie. Thanks for joining us today while you're on your vacation. <laughs> it's great to be here. I'm sitting in Tahoe and uh, looking out on the beautiful pine trees. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad summer is here and things are opening up. I thought before we, before we start, uh, maybe you can share with us about a little bit about your personal background and um, what get you excited to be in healthcare and what is, who inspired you and what inspired you. Sure. Well, uh, I, my personal background is is mostly in technology, uh, and really, I had a, a personal situation with my father who had multiple chronic conditions that led me to start Vita. Um, so I spent my career in tech. Uh, I was at eBay and PayPal for nearly a decade, and then I was at Google, and I built products that scaled to millions of users, and mostly in commerce and payments. And payments is kind of regulated similar to healthcare. So a lot of experience building systems there. And, um, you know, my father had multiple chronic conditions, probably not unlike the rest of the U.S. You know, there's, there's at least 150, nearly 150 million people that have chronic diseases. So he had um, diabetes and obesity and they're interconnected and CHF, COPD, and depression. And I was really trying to find like a mobile solution for him where I could see his stats on a daily basis. Um, I could understand what was going on. Uh, There was, you know, a day-to-day accountability from a human, like a coach who could help him with his nutrition, his stress, his sleep, and all the underlying root drivers that were, um, you know, inflaming, (laughs) making things worse for his chronic conditions. And then obviously medication adherence and other things. And and there really wasn't a solution. And uh, I just started prototyping and, um, you know, and I realized that the intersection of the mind and the body was, was just so important to tackle. And you really had to bring something to market that was like what my father needed, which is um, something all in one place. And, you know, my, my father wouldn't have wanted five apps and, um, you know, he could wear one or two devices, but he wasn't going to use everything. And he really needed a human to keep him accountable. So 
Um, so really that's how Vita came to be. And, and now we just, uh, we're scaling and serving large employers and payers. I assume that he has this condition uh, later in his life, or is it something that's uh, when you're growing up, that's you experience this? Um, no, it was more, it, it was more later in his life. Um, although he, he, you know, he'd had it for a while, um, but then all of it got much worse. So um, the diabetes, you know, started to affect his feet and um, the CHF and COPD came later. Uh, and, um, you know, I think we we probably miss the depression. Uh, you know, I think mental health is now taking front stage and people are really understanding how many people in the U.S. are really suffering, mm-hmm. uh, even from, you know, subclinical or mild to moderate mental health. And his, his was um, moderate, but it does impact your physical health. And I think we, we all underestimate the impact of mental health. So we didn't really know about it until late. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because yeah, I think, you know, with your, I'm just going to back uh, way back in your time, you, you know, you, you work a lot in a tech technology company in eBay and then Google and, the, and the, uh, doing a lot of the payment stuff. Um, but you also had experience uh, starting a company during the dot-com boom. And mm-hmm. tell us more about that and how that experience um, helped shape who you are, like in terms of when you start the Vita, what informed you from that age? That is true. I did start a company and took it public in the late 90s, so I'm definitely dating myself. Uh, it was an online pharmacy. In fact, many of the ideas still <laughs> were in my mind when I started Vita because at that time I tried to have an integrated pharmacy with disease management. And, and so many, many of the ideas still were percolating <laughs> and you know, mobile obviously didn't exist at that time. And the, the technology for machine learning had advanced. So there was a lot more possible uh, starting Vita than there was when I started Planet RX. And the other, the other big difference is just the technology evolution. So all the cloud-based services make it so much easier to be an entrepreneur uh, and to connect different systems and to get started with a, a you know an MVP where you can really test um, the product market fit. So it's it's a completely different experience uh, starting a company now versus the dot-com. But it's so. interesting, even with that time, you were successfully you know bringing that brought that company into public, and you know. That obviously a lot of things happened during that time. Um, what what are you know from every things that doesn't work? What works? That you know what do you bring when you know when you started Vita? What kind of stay in your mind? Like make sure that you don't you know the lesson that you learned then is applied to what you're doing now, even though with the different technology. It's really funny that you um, asked that question because we're all a product of our experience, right? Mm-hmm. And I I think my combined experience of being an entrepreneur early and then being in big companies and launching products to millions of users and scaling all kind of come together because you know I worked at companies where we ran like <clears throat> at eBay and PayPal, we had large marketplaces of users. So you had um, supply and demand issues. You had to understand regulatory constraints and how to build products that delighted consumers, but also met the needs of of a regulated market. So a lot of the learning I had throughout my career and also just building products that delight users 
and knowing how to do that mm-hmm. um, came to, to fruition when thinking about building Vita. And um, I really was bringing together my passion and interest in healthcare, but more importantly, my experience in building um, products. And then I, <clears throat> when I was at PayPal, I ran um, a large B2B business. And so I had had the experience of working in the, at least in the payments industry in B2B and selling in that environment. So it's all kind of a culmination of a lot of different mm-hmm. experiences that come together uh, because healthcare is complicated. It is a B2B to C largely business. And, uh, and so all the learnings along the way have helped. And, um, you know, the fact that I've been able to take the learnings I've had in big companies that where I worked with, you know, um, large scale teams and took things to market and scaled them. I think that's really important because in healthcare, we need a lot of scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just, you know, we're, we're not changing the industry fast enough. Uh, so, uh, so I can bring all the tech experience, but also understand how to live in a regulated environment. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk. You know, when you talk to a lot of people, it's funny how all your past experience seems like it's designed to do what you're doing right now. But it's you know, it's just it just gives you the up. Like now, when you look back, it just you you know the dots all connected. It's like, oh yeah, I do this now. It helped me to do the thing that you're doing right now. So I think that you know, it's very. Uh, uh, relatable to, you know, I, I guess when you're young, you don't think about that as you get older. Yeah. You don't, you don't know that you're connecting all the dots until you get there later in life. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Hey, you know, it looks like I plan all this journey so that I can do this X, Y, Z. Um, that's not yeah. true. And life is not a straight line. <laughs> so yeah. I, wish, yeah. I wish my kids would understand that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, maybe this is a good segue for, uh, our listeners to hear more about what is Vita, what is Vita is trying to do, uh, how does it work? So Vita is a virtual care company that is providing physical and mental health uh, virtual. So it is, uh, we are a medical provider in 50 states and we combine the human touch and uh, telemedicine virtual care inside the app with digital therapeutic interventions for different chronic conditions, both physical and mental. And and then we connect to devices. Uh, we ship devices to your home and we do remote patient monitoring. So we're bringing everything together in one place and we're using machine learning to really personalize the experience and meet the person where they're at. So the idea is that we are taking a holistic approach to your health and we're providing the right care uh, to the right person at the right time. And we're generally serving people who have been living with chronic disease and they want to manage it better so they can live a better life. And they tend to have, are the average user at, at Vita has 3.3 conditions. So there's a lot of overlap between diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, anxiety, depression. So we cover a range of conditions and, uh, and we provide uh, multiple, it's an integrated care team model. So we provide multiple, if you might be enrolled in a diabetes management program and a d- CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy for depression at the same time and have a therapist and a diabetes educator helping you. It's almost like you're serving a lot of the patient population that is really hard to manage. We, we are serving uh, individuals that are more expensive and have comorbidity, you know, living with um, comorbidities from different chronic conditions. Yeah. No, I like your approach, like now looking at as a whole person. And I think, 
can you tell us more about, you know, you know, I mean, we've seen study that, you know, a lot of this mental health and the, in, uh, affecting people with a chronic, the cost of care for a patient with a chronic care, when you layer them with a the mental health, it can be double, right? Um, yeah, it's really important. I mean, if you look at the statistics, uh, individuals who are living with diabetes and depression are four to six times more expensive. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, you really have to treat the mind and the body together, regardless of severity. Uh, I think we have to take a holistic approach, you know, you know, universally in our country. And I think that people are recognizing how important mental health is now. Um, and sometimes mental health, you know, challenges actually cause physical health problems and vice versa. So when we first started, we started with cardiometabolic syndrome, effectively diabetes and and weight loss. Within the first year, it was very obvious, you know, our coaches would say, they couldn't treat the diabetes without treating the depression, and they're they're really interconnected. And I think we underestimate how 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 much uh, that is the case. And we we um, we've seen outcomes where, when we treat the mind and the body together, we get better outcomes in terms of reduction in A one C, and which is the measure for diabetes, and or uh, PHQ, which is a, me- a measure for depression. So can you walk us back to like the beginning of your start of Vita? I mean, like right now when you look at the Vita uh, offering, it seems so uh, comprehensive. Uh, I imagine when you first start, it was not all like comprehensive. How do you build that? And what? how do you, you know, grow it to cover more and more areas? Well, we first started with, uh, diabetes and weight loss, th- what, I, what I would call cardiometabolic syndrome. And, and then we layered in cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, and then we've layered in you know, hypertension and uh, so we have a program for congestive heart failure and COPD mm-hmm. and asthma. So we, we've continued to add. And so the nice thing about our platform is that it's very. Um, it's built in a very scalable way, leveraging in, in some of my experience. And then we've hired a lot of other people on our team out of uh, both healthcare and tech who have scaled large platforms. And and so it's once you've built the infrastructure, it's um, much easier to add on, and you know, an additional area you can hire uh, the clinical expertise, and then take. A, we really pride ourselves on taking a very. Um, Strong cross-functional approach. We would we would bring uh, clinicians and uh, and then product folks and you know uh, and care providers and uh, medical experts in in various areas as well as researchers and engineers. Everyone together to to build these uh, clinical areas. So, uh, but we we built the platform and enabled us to you know that enabled us to build these different areas. So we really started early with diabetes and weight loss, then expanded into therapy, then added all the other programs, and we spent a lot of time recently really uh, honing that integrated care model uh, and knowing how to personalize the experience using data and machine learning to continue to improve uh, the intervention and the the close what we call the closed loops inside the app where you know you see how people are either talking to their coach or their therapist and then uh, activities and tools and trackers and things they're doing their data that they're sharing from their devices either claims or rx data and we're looking at all these things and looking at patterns and then using machine learning to continue to personalize and improve the product 
it's like based on what you're saying, it's not more like you're building it to grow. Um, I've seen a lot of, you know, conversation here about like, you know, an entrepreneur who just started when they just started, they probably have, you know, one, one focus area and then investor always say, well, you know, their, their question always came from the investor usually, well, you know, so-and-so can just, you know, copy what you're doing and in, include it in that platform or say Livongo can just put it into their platform. And what do you recommend or what advice do you give, uh, can you give to an, uh, an entrepreneurs how to address that? Because like anybody, even, you know, like Vita or other company that become big, they also start one or two areas and then they build it out, right? Mm-hmm. I think you have to pick a, a problem that you're trying to solve. Uh, you really anchor in the customer and what uh, what solution you're trying to bring to them and whether you know that is unique in necessary in the market. So you're seeing new companies in digital health come come up that are tackling more nuanced areas right now. Uh, like digestive health or substance use disorder, or you're starting to see, or, you know, kids, um, psychiatric or behavioral health care. So you're, you're starting to see a lot more players go deep in specific areas. And I think you just have to pick the right problem you're trying to solve and, and really truly solve it and go deep uh, in the customer solution. And then from there, that's when you can just grow it to do something. Yeah, you have to have your first customer and then your next 10 customers and then 100 and then 1,000. Mm-hmm. You have to really delight each one of those customers and learn from them mm-hmm. and uh, and then, you know, apply it to, uh, apply the learnings to continue to, to scale. But if you don't get the first 100 and the first 1,000 and you have to iterate fast. Yeah. <laughs> so. This podcast is sponsored by Brown Rutnick's Global Life Sciences Group, a team of legal professionals that help life science companies, lenders, and investors around the world turn good science into good business. Learn more at brownrudnick.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Canon Quality Group. Canon Quality Group has been helping med tech startups set up quality management systems for over 10 years. If you're unsure when to get started with quality management in your startup, turn to the experts at canonqualitygroup.com. So you mentioned that, you know, being in Google and eBay, being in eBay, you learned a lot about how to delight your customer. That's, uh, what are the key areas that people need to think about in order to delight their, their customer? That's a great question. Uh, well, so we use uh, Net Promoter Score to measure that. And we have a 76 uh, NPS, but we didn't always have a 76. It was, you know, in the 60s. And then we've we've continued to improve. So uh, it's really about um, not only a great user experience in from a product perspective, but it's actually solving the pain point for them. Um, and so many times when you're a startup, you don't have to have the perfect app right away. You might have the perfect end-to-end experience, and you might use a lot of even manual uh, backend manual solutions to make sure you're delivering to the customer and testing if that solves the problem for them. And then you can come back and build technology against it. So it's a bit counterintuitive, but 
you have to solve the problem end to end and make sure that that end to end solution for the customer really works and delights them mm-hmm. and, and figure out what components of the product should be automated. But sometimes you can't automate until you've actually served the customer end to end and done a lot of things manually first. And, you know, I've seen a lot of startups use spreadsheets and, uh, and do, do different, you know, it feels like duct tape. And, and, uh, but in many ways, it's a smart thing to do because you learn fast and then you figure out what to build and scale. Uh, so you have to have a core tenant of the problem you're trying to solve and how you solve it and have that, that part of the experience be amazing. But you don't have to have every part of it automated or perfect. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you start with the basic. You don't need to go fancy pretty quickly. Yeah, you have to start like... I think Reed Hoffman's famous for saying if you're if your first product, your minimal viable, you know, MVP, there's minimal or maximal viable. It depends on how you define it. But if your first product is not embarrassing, then you're not you're not doing it fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> that that that's a funny one. If it's your first product not embarrassing, <laughs> it's so funny because everybody wants to impress, right? And I think mm-hmm. sometimes they 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 forgot to solve the basic problem because they try so hard to impress. Um, Right. Like some mobile apps will use web-based frameworks or React and build something very quickly just to see if it delights the customer. And then they will go back and build, you know, a much more sophisticated native app. And that's generally pretty smart to do. Yeah. It's interesting because I think sometimes, oftentimes, you know, as a human reaction, I feel that, if it's so simple, then you feel like everybody can solve it. Everybody can do it. But to make things simple, actually, it takes a lot of thinking and understanding. And iteration. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it seems so, you know, feel like when you, the more education you get, feel like the more complicated it is. Simplicity is definitely underrated. Simplicity is really important. It's totally underrated. <laughs> yeah. So um, that brings me to my next question. It's like in delighting the customer, how do you how do you make your program sticky to your members? Why you know to keep engaging and continue using your program? Mm-hmm. Well, we measure. So we we measure all this. Uh, we we spend a lot of time looking at all their activity in the app. So we we have the majority of our users use the app on a daily basis and do multiple things uh, per day. So for me, it's um, when I was at Google, uh, Larry used to talk about, Larry Page used to talk about the toothbrush test. And he wanted to build products that people used at least twice a day. And of course, Google is like that. And I always said that in healthcare, I wanted to build something that was built into people's you know daily lives. And I think we've done that. And so we, we measure all the things they do every, you know, how often they talk to their provider, their coach or their therapist, how often they're using the, you know, completing lessons or participating in a group or um, using tools inside the app or sharing data. So we we measure all of that and we look at um, retention over time and activity over time and patterns. And we're constantly developing, uh, you know, and, and improving the solution, but developing closed loop behaviors where we can see if somebody does something, then if the coach responds this way, then it'll actually improve their outcomes. And so we connect the consumer product experience with the provider product experience and make sure that uh, we're also enabling our providers to use technology to be uh, helping the consumers succeed. 
So we, we connect the dots between both of them. And it, it takes a lot of iteration and you have to really measure uh, what people are doing on a daily basis and constantly improve. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, like to, uh, um, what you're mentioning about Vida is also a provider, right? Uh, in the old healthcare days, when they talk about providers, always like the doctor, the hospital, and not in a virtual world. And how do you see, you know, the pandemic definitely make people become more comfortable about in a virtual uh, healthcare setting? Um, how do you think the industry will change? and how the consumer uh, view healthcare uh, differently. Sure. So, well, first of all, I think COVID, the silver lining of COVID was that more and more people were exposed to telemedicine and they're very comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're going to just see it escalate from here in terms of, uh, I mean, I, you know, I think there's been a little bit of a boomerang. People are going back into the, and to see the doctor in person. But, but the things that we do for chronic disease and therapy uh, typically are staying virtual. And what I see in the future is that we're creating a system, a healthcare system, where we allow all the providers to practice at the top of their license. So physicians practice at the top of their license, and then therapists, coaches, nurses, everyone practices at the top of their license, and it's an integrated care team model. And then you use machine learning and AI and bots to do the low-level tasks to uh, to make everyone else, you know, more efficient with their time, and that way we can scale more people, more providers, uh, and also provide you know access and more care uh, because we do have a, a gap in in access in the country, um, and you know you really don't need. I mean, we have we work with physicians where they're so excited when their patients come back and they they've been working with Vita and they see the physician will see an A1C drop and mm. improvements in hypertension and weight loss and they'll be like, "This is great, congratulations!" And the physicians don't have the time to take you know to take to do that, and they are really appreciative of the work that we're doing, and so we're an in you know we're a continuous care model in between the physician visits, and it makes the whole system more efficient. So I think you'll see continuous care be accepted as the go-to model for chronic disease and you'll see integrated virtual primary and chronic care. Uh, and it'll and, and I think you'll even see virtual first where there'll be different plans where you go you 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 sign up for a virtual first plan and you interact virtually and then decide if you go see a physician and if it's if it's severe enough where you actually have to go in person. So does Vita also work with uh, the brick and mortar kind of health providers? We do. We integrate with existing uh, brick and mortar physicians. And we were, we will definitely, if we have an, uh, a patient that is uh, living with diabetes and comorbidities and they're on insulin and we can take them off their meds, we will have a Vita pharmacist or coach uh, reach out to the PCP and to adjust their meds. Okay, cool. So... Um, with providing a lot of the virtual care, how is Vita as a company uh, uh, going back post-pandemic? Are you, uh, is everything back to uh, in person or? Oh, that's a great question. We're still we're still virtual. We'll be going back into the office in September. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's that's, it's so funny how everybody's grappling with that right now. So I I don't want to keep you for too long, especially on your vacation. Can you share with us three lessons learned from your experience 
that you can share with our entrepreneurs? What are the three important lessons that you learned that you're, you, you know, keep in, in your mind? Uh, this, this is for all healthcare entrepreneurs, yes. right? <laughs> so uh, one is is solve the problem holistically and delight the customer. Uh, and two is I would say in, in healthcare, you need to figure out the payment model and, the, and understand uh, whether it should be a direct-to-consumer or through a B2B2C model and uh, know who the payer is essentially and what the, what the incentives are. And then the last, uh, the last lesson would be unit economics. Uh, make sure you really understand how you can create a, uh, a strong business going forward with positive you know, gross margin and contribution margin and just you know, how you can scale a meaningful business uh, with, with great economics. And sometimes that trips people up. Yeah, I think healthcare is complicated about like who gives the care and who pay are different people. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time and your insight. Thank you for taking the time to interview me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Health Technology Podcast. We want to thank our executive producer, Herminio Neto, our content writer, Kelly Muscat, and our podcast engineer, Andrew Rojek. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. The Health Technology Podcast is available on all major platforms.